I am so glad to be here this morning. I am glad to be a part of this church where I can come, and even though I am the person that often stands in the front and has a microphone and is supposed to tell you, you know, what's up and, and how, to, how to do things and, you know, what it is to be a Christian and all that stuff, like, in this church, I can still do this even though I have had a rough week and I'm not quite okay today. Um, but my heart is with you guys and getting to do this that makes me feel alive is part of what is beautiful about my life. And so I'm thankful that I can be not okay and I can still do the thing that God has called me to do. And you guys are okay with that, or at least I think you are. And if you're not, you're too nice to tell me to my face, so that is good. Um, anyway, so I just, I just want to throw that out there because sometimes, you know, I'm, I think it's important for all of us to be vulnerable and authentic and honest. And, and if I am anything of a leader, then I should be an example of that. So uh, you can pray for me because I need it. Um, as we continue in our series today, I'm starting with this story that is just one of those incredible, crazy stories, something that happened to us. It was quite a long time ago. Uh, Vince and I had only been married for a couple of years. Christy was a baby. Uh, we were not that long living in Rolla, and it was a winter day, an icy, icy, crazy, snowy winter day in January. See, um, Vince is a hunter. Every year he goes out and he hunts for deer, typically on public land. He has some friends that will invite him sometimes to private land, but we don't, I mean, we don't have any, you know, our, our hunting ranch or whatever like some people have. We're, we're, we're not fancy, so it's typically on public land. And uh, the regular firearm season for hunting deer is in November, but every year, there's also a period of time in January where there's like an extended hunt and you can get an antlerless deer and it, why they do it, where they do it has to do with the deer population and all that kind of stuff and none of that's important, but that's just how I tell stories. So the point is it was January, it was like the dead of winter. Um, and that particular year, Phelps County did not have the extra season and so Vince had to go a little bit further north to find some public land on which to hunt. And he found a spot on a map, basically, that he hadn't been before. He wasn't really familiar with it, but it was in a county that was offering that extended hunt. And so um, he, he, off he went to go and try and fill up our freezer. And uh, he was driving his dad's little 80s model. I don't even remember what kind of truck it was, but it was a tiny little... Um, rear wheel drive manual transition uh, transition transmission pickup truck to go on this hunting trip. I want you to remember rear wheel drive, okay? So I did what I did. I went about my morning. I was taking care of the baby and, you know, washing the dishes. I mean, theoretically, it was a long time ago, so maybe I wasn't doing anything as noble as all that, but um, I went about my business doing whatever I was doing, and sometime later, I mean, he left before it was light outside, but it was after lunch when I got this phone call. And it was a landline, because this is way back in the day, you know, a long time ago, before cell phones were quite as 
prevalent as they are, they existed, but we didn't have them at that time, so it was our landline. Phone rang, and it was my father-in-law. And he asked me if Vince was home. I said, oh, no, no, he went hunting. He, he's not home yet, and uh, Vern wanted to know where he had gone, where was he hunting at, and I could, I could tell, I could start to tell from the tone of his voice uh, that he was concerned. My father-in-law is a very spiritual man who has a long history of these kind of encounters, and so he felt like God was warning him that Vince was in danger. And so he'd called um, so that he could find out where he was so that not only could Vern pray, but he could go and look for Vince. I mean, he was that, that concerned and felt that much of a, an urge inside of his spirit. Um, but we were stupid back then and we did not have the rule that we have today that says you tell me where you're going to be like the name of the conservation area so I know if you don't come home where to send them looking for you we didn't have that rule back then and so all I could say was well I'm it's somewhere near Columbia I think um and we didn't have cell phones, I told you that, so there was no way to call and check on him and find out if he was okay. Uh, and it was, I got off the phone, I started praying, I knew my in-laws were praying, it was a really long afternoon of, like, I, should I try to call somebody? I don't, I don't know what I would say. Uh, my father-in-law thinks something's wrong, I don't know where he is, can you help? Like, what does that phone call even sound like? So it was, it was a really long afternoon of just praying uh, for protection. And it was quite a while before Vince got home, and when he walked through the door, after he had managed to peel his weeping wife off of himself, you know, we called his parents so that he could tell them the story at the same time that I was hearing it. So he had a map of this hunting area, like a topographical map, and he was in the military, so generally that meant, you know, he's good to go, he knows what to do with that. But like I said, it was a place that he hadn't been before, so he wasn't super familiar with it. And I don't know exactly what happened if he wasn't looking at the map right side up or if, if he was being a little bit too casual about it. I don't know, but he ended up turning down a road that he thought was going through a little valley. Only instead of a valley, this road was over something called the devil's backbone. And it was called that because what it was was a ridge that was up really high that had steep drop-offs. I mean, room for one car and steep, like 100 or more foot drop-offs on the sides. Which was not really a big deal when he first turned onto the road. It dipped downhill a little bit. But then went back up on the devil's backbone. And there was a lot of snow and ice on the ground at that time. A lot. And the truck lost traction. The rear wheel drive truck. If, if you don't know why that's important, the back of the truck shimmies and the front just kind of goes wherever it feels like going if you're slipping in a rear-wheel drive truck on ice. And so he's on this narrow road with this steep drop-off. 
and stuck in this, this precarious position in this isolated spot with no way of getting help. And obviously things turned out okay, right? He's sitting here, obviously. He was successful in extricating himself from that predicament. But listening to him as he described what had happened while we were on the phone with his parents, just the dawning of his realization that he was in real danger there. The lengths that he had to go to to get himself back up that hill, it was really scary hearing that story. But as we talked about it, you guys probably already guessed where I'm going, as we talked about it with his parents, it turned out that you know, when we worked it out, the time of day when he was, was sliding down that hill was the very moment that my father-in-law first felt that knot in his stomach that told him that something was wrong and that he needed to pray. And this story is, it's a classic example of what we sometimes refer to as intercessory prayer. To intercede, it means to mediate, to advocate, to plead on behalf of. It's a pretty churchy word that we use, but all it means is to pray for someone else, to intercede. We're asking God to intervene on behalf of another person. And praying for others this way, this is one of those core practices that we're talking about, part of our Christian faith, a core basic activity that is uh, part of what we're talking about during this series that we're in called Run It Again, the fundamentals of our faith. Right? We're talking about the practices and the disciplines that God gives us as gifts those things that help us experience him, those things that help transform us into the likeness of his son, and that the transformation happens over a lifetime as we incorporate these activities, and they become more and more natural to us. Praying for others, intercessory prayer, it is one of those foundational practices. Now, many times, most of the time, maybe even, the, the requests to pray, they come to us directly from another person. There is not a single day in my life that goes by that someone does not ask me to pray for them or for someone that they care about. But what I want to talk about today is that other times, the prompting to pray for someone else, it comes through the Holy Spirit as it did to my father-in-law in my story earlier. My father-in-law had absolutely no way of knowing that Vince was in trouble other than through that connection with God that he had learned to connect with and he had learned to recognize over time as he practiced I want to look at another story about intercessory prayer. This one's in the Bible. Thank God she's finally getting out the Bible. Um, and this involves a man named Daniel. 
Daniel was one of many Israelites who were captives in the land of Babylon at the time, the nation having been captured and forced into slavery and exile. And you might know Daniel from the story about him getting thrown into the pit of lions, but that there's more to the book and to to who he was than that. Now, Daniel was a talented man, and that's why he ended up having kind of this prominent position, even as a slave. The Bible emphasizes about Daniel that he was faithful to Yahweh, even though he was in a foreign land with foreign gods and and had the opportunity to partake in all kinds of of pleasurable activities and, and he chose, rather, to be faithful to the God of his ancestors. And so that's an important part of who he was. He was faithful in prayer. That's what got him thrown into the den of lions is he would not stop praying to the God of Israel. He was faithful in prayer and part of what he prayed for Part of that prayer was his intercession for the people of Israel and for their situation as captives. So in this particular instance that I'm going to read, Daniel had been praying intentionally for three weeks. He'd been um, observing a special diet, maybe not necessarily a full fast in this chapter, but it says he didn't eat any choice meats. Like he altered his schedule and his activities and was intentionally and earnestly seeking God in prayer for three weeks straight. And then something crazy happened. Daniel saw a vision of a terrifying, like fiery angel warrior dude. So, listen to the story. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 of Daniel chapter 10. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Just looking at it made him feel like he's going to fall down on the ground. But verse 9, then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell in a deep sleep, my face to the ground. You guys have seen that, right? People tip over under the presence and the power of God. Like I think I would hit the ground too if I saw a giant fiery angel warrior dude standing in front of me. I think this is an appropriate and understandable reaction. (laughs) So Daniel's face down on the ground in front of this angel warrior. And verse 10 says, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And the angel said to Daniel, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, trembling still, like he did his best. He got up, but he was still shaken. Then then the, the angel continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before, you God, before your God, as soon as you started praying, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. 
Verse 13 goes on to say, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. I mean, beats heck out of me what that's all about. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Daniel said in verse 15, while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Again, he hit the floor. Then one one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and I said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. It's amazing to me how many times in the Bible God interacts with humans and we need to be told, don't be afraid. You who are highly esteemed was not uh, unique to Daniel. It, It applies to us as well. We need not be afraid in God's presence. But anyway, the angel goes on to tell Daniel some of the things about the future fate of Israel. And those things and the other visions that he had, they're all recorded in the book. If you haven't read through the book of Daniel, it's it's pretty cool, and I encourage you to do that. But I love this narrative here as just a snapshot of intercessory prayer because I think that there are a couple of pretty significant things that we can pull out of it. Number one, let me read verse seven to you one more time. In verse seven, he said, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. Here's what I want you to know. The difference between Daniel and the others in that moment was practice. The difference between Daniel and those other people in that moment was practice. Daniel consistently devoted time and energy toward the practice of prayer, both in a personal way and in an intercessory capacity. Okay, that's true. Just like my father-in-law who had spent countless hours paying attention to God, and what it felt like to experience him and practicing connecting the dots of that beautiful, mysterious dance that we're in when God speaks and we listen and we respond and God acts. Daniel saw the vision because he was practiced at being connected. But notice this, please. Listen, if you don't listen to anything else I say today, for the rest of us who don't often see visions of fiery warrior angel dudes, the others sensed something too. They sensed it. Only they ran away instead of pressing in. It would be a mistake 
to read this story and think that Daniel was some kind of spiritual superstar. Every single person in this room is capable of learning to recognize these kind of promptings from the Holy Spirit that lead us in prayer for other people. Every single one of us. We are having that kind of communication directed at us all the time. All the time. God is always trying to speak. We just aren't used to being aware of noticing those things. But we can start where we are. And we can practice. We can learn. Have you ever had the experience where just out of the blue, you thought of a person that you you haven't seen in years, you haven't thought about in years? Has that ever happened to anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe somebody, you think of someone multiple times in a day. Every time your, your mind is still, that person pops in your head. Their face is like always, always coming into your awareness. That could be God prompting you to pray for that person. If you're wrong, <laughs> and it's not God, like, oh no, you prayed for something when it wasn't needed. I mean, like, but man, if you're right, if you're right, Here's another way this prompting happens, and and this is one of the primary ways that I myself experience it. And that's, that's through emotions, moods. Sometimes, and this has been happening to me my whole life, and I didn't I didn't know it until not that long ago. Sometimes I will have an intense experience of emotion that is not congruent to whatever's happening in my life at the moment. It's, it's like, like, a, like a physical sympathy pain is. We talk about those things like word of knowledge or word of wisdom where, you know, you have a, a pain shoot through your shoulder and there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. You don't usually have shoulder pain and, and it turns out that someone else in the room does have shoulder pain and maybe you pray for that and maybe God would bring healing to that. Uh, we call those sympathy pains and if, if that sounds weird to you, we're going to talk about hands-on ministry prayer next week, so stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. But I get emotional Sympathy pains sometimes. I figured it out several years ago that that's really what it was when I first took uh, Sockham, the School of Kingdom Ministry, because somebody in that class, they put words to that experience that I had. And I didn't know before that, that that was a way that God spoke. I didn't know that. But once I knew, I started leaning into the things that I used to dismiss. I started leaning into that. And I started with friends because that's safe, right? That's part of the purpose of church is that we get to practice with people that aren't going to judge us if we screw it up. So I started with friends and I found out that it was uncanny 
how many times I would feel these moods just sweep over me, and it turned out that it matched what someone else had been experiencing at exactly the same time. I did risky things like I would text people and say, hey, uh, were you feeling particularly discouraged at 8.45 p.m. last night? Because I felt discouraged, and I felt like maybe God was telling me how you felt and asking me to pray for you. And sometimes people said no, and I didn't die. But holy crap, sometimes people said yes. And I wish that I had more time this morning to tell you more stories about some of the ways that that has been very significant and powerful. But here's the big question that we all have when we talk about prayer in general and intercessory prayer as well. How does this work? How does this work? Does prayer change any of these circumstances? Like, if my father-in-law had been distracted and not paying attention that day, would my husband be dead? What is God really doing when I'm praying for my friend's sadness in the middle of the night. What is happening? How does that work? A lot of people have a lot of ideas about this. A lot. But just like last week, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. What happens when we pray is a mystery. In large part, we can, what we can know for sure, though, is this, a lot is happening. We see this in the account of the angel's journey and our story from Daniel. Remember all that stuff about angels battling with the prince of the Persian kingdom? Things happening in the spiritual realm that we can't see and we can only speculate about. I don't know what that means. I've heard sermons and been to Bible studies and seen books. And, you know, I'm, I'm just really skeptical of people who are so certain that they know what things like that mean. Scripture gives us some clues, but there's just really not much about the specifics. What we know for sure is that there are two kingdoms at work in this world right now. That is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, and they are at war. And God has the singular goal of bringing his perfect love. Jesus said, I came so that you could have life and have it abundantly. That's the goal of the kingdom of God. And the goal of the kingdom of darkness, Satan's singular goal, is to bring destruction and death and to steal everything that is good from us. That's what we can know for sure. And what we can also know for sure is that for whatever reason, that is just inconceivable to me, but I'm so grateful for it. God chooses to actively involve us in the process of advancing his kingdom. We are part of the process. We are part of the plan. This picture of God as the puppet master of the universe, this is not correct. He is with us. And we are a part of his process. So Daniel's prayers for Israel somehow affected that 
angelic battle. Somehow. My father-in-law's prayers for Vince's safety on that day, they somehow affected his treacherous run up that icy hill. And my groanings with no words for the suffering of my friend somehow affects their ability to endure whatever is happening to them. I believe this. The exact mechanism is in God's hands. It's very firmly in God's hands, and I am okay with that. Our part is simply to be available, to be attentive, and to be obedient. But the common thread that's running in and through and around the whole thing as it is with just about everything that has to do with anything that has to do with God. The common thread that's running in and through and around it is love. It's God's love for us all. He sees every single person, that person that pops in your head, that he wants you to pray for. He loves that person, and he, and he nurtures our love for each other through this process of praying for one another. Love is what must be at the center point of all intercession. Love. The word of the Lord that Daniel was so desperate to hear from that heavenly being that God sent was that God was not finished with Israel. He had not turned his back on them. In fact, he loved them still with his unfailing covenant love. The visions and the prophecies that were given, they gave hope on the front end and they gave faith when they were fulfilled of what? Of the fact that God's love was sure. And our family certainly felt that love when God was looking out for Vince when he was in a sticky spot. And the person crying in despair in the middle of the night can be reassured of God's love in a powerful way when they know that through you, God, God is communicating to them that he sees them and he loves them and he cares about their circumstance enough to pull another human into that circle so they know that they are not alone. Love, 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 love. I'll finish with this. My favorite author, Philip Yancey, said this about prayer. When I pray for another person, I am praying for God to open my eyes so that I can see that person as God does and then enter into the stream of love that God already directs toward that person. Try and hold that image in your mind as you go about your week. God's love is a force that is flowing all around us and it's toward us all as individuals. And when you choose to join into that flow, to place yourself in that stream, that dance of love, not only for yourselves to experience that directed at you, but, but for others, for others as well. You are entering into the very heart of our Father God.
and like all of the other things that we're talking about in this series, intercessory prayer is a gift that we are invited to receive. And it is a skill that we can improve. So look for an opportunity to lean into that this week. Pray for that person that pops in your head. And then call them. Take a risk. It's worth it. It's all worth it. Let me pray for us as we go.